Last Sunday, I want to build on what uh, Pastor Derek did start last Sunday. Last Sunday, he started by talking about the biblical foundations for the purpose of our church or the mission of our church, which comes out of the great commandment and the great commission to go and make disciples, the commandment. I mean, I'm sorry, the commission, go and make disciples. The commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that is the basis. I'll just simplify and say, go and make disciples. Now, most all evangelical, Protestant evangelical churches, they will cite that same mission. You know, it, biblical, it's there. You know, we freshen it up by giving it a, a little nuances with terminology and contemporary so that maybe people can relate to it. And so it may be worded a little bit different, but underneath it, you know, it, it's about drawing people to Jesus Christ and then seeing them mature in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So really the difference isn't uh, what the mission is, but the difference, because God, we believe we are autonomous, we're not like the Catholic church under a hierarchical structure, but each church then takes a step back and say, God, God, how do we do that? How do we go about that mission effectively? The mission does not change. The mission does not change. But the how we go about it gets adjusted. I say adjusted because I think most everything that you see by way of trends and ways that maybe churches will try to make disciples, it comes and goes. And so really, it doesn't change change, but because of times, perhaps, perhaps because of culture or needs, you make adjustments how you're going to be effective, how you might improve effectiveness towards that mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's what the challenge of each local church is for their leadership teams and for the people itself. And so um, we have Go and make disciples. I thought I had more on that up there, but anyway. Go and make disciples. Does my second slide, uh, the next slide, show the full passage? Okay, anyway. Go and make disciples. Baptizing and teaching in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Okay, what Derek pointed out, that make disciples, it's the verb, that is the mission. It should be in capitals. That's what is overarching. How we're going to go about it, or the, um, the participle is the going, the baptizing, and the teaching. Now, I think over years, we've done a good job with the baptizing. It's pretty tight and concrete, and we've been clear like we're going to be doing the baptizing next Sunday at the park. The teaching, I think we have a little bit more understanding because it's more quantifiable. You can get people in a room. Uh, you can teach a certain portion of scripture or scripture memory, and they could uh, repeat it. And we uh, assume and we hope that the word of God is alive and active and it's doing its part. 
what gets a little bit more difficult, what I would say a little bit more mysterious is this going. This going. And this may be a somewhat of a byproduct of Western civilization and, and how we see education and how we have structured it in, in such a linear fashion. You know, like our classrooms and you pass and then you go to the next grade and you got to reproduce a certain amount of content to be able to move on. And we, we pass people through that way. Uh, this going is a little different. See, now when it says that this going, I'm not thinking going in the sense, okay, that means I got to go to the uh, serve at the rescue mission. I got to go paint uh, at the pregnancy center. I got to cut the hedge of that widow. That, that's not how I see going. Going means as you live life, on your way, living life, on your way, live in the natural uh, rhythm and, and life encounters, that is when I want you to make a disciple. That's when I want you to become an increasing devoted or a more mature disciple in that going activity, as well as being uh, open to how God may bring folks into your circle of influence where you can speak your faith to Jesus Christ. It, what this means is life is God's disciple-making laboratory, not a classroom. We understand a, a, a classroom, but a laboratory is more where you're exploring, where you're getting your hands on something. Remember what it was like when you finally made it to, I think for me, I can't remember some of my fellow students that went to school with me. It might have been eighth or ninth grade when we finally got to dissect a worm. Hands-on. You know, not just looking at the picture in the book, but right there in our little science lab. Or how about the frog, which I'm sure is forbidden now. <laughs> Dissecting, we didn't give a frog to all students. You know, everybody might have had a worm back then, I can't remember, but a, a, a frog. Uh, something else happens in a laboratory. Uh, this going, I, I see, uh, you know, let's take the posture that life is meant to be God's laboratory where he is going to make you and me more mature as followers. When we say disciples, all we're saying is a, a follower of Jesus Christ. That we would mature, what does that look like in following Jesus Christ? We want to take on more of the characteristics, the attitudes, the thoughts that Jesus Christ had. We want to see that incorporated even more fully. To where almost it becomes uh, without thinking. It just oozes out. That's what we call gospel fluency. It just starts to uh, seep in and then come out through you. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is rooted in knowledge and doctrine, but it's much more than that. I think that's the adjustment that you're seeing across the landscape of Protestant evangelical Christianity. You know, uh, 
churches and uh, Christian groups that just really relied uh, fully on knowledge, I, I think now people are really starting to see this going. Perhaps we need to understand it more fully. You as parents do that in your home. If you're going to teach your kids how to clean the room, you got to create some kind of laboratory or some way to encourage them. You can't just sit at the table and say, okay, now I'm going to tell you how to do it. Now go do it. If you want it to be incorporated into their life, it demands the going. Knowledge is not the end goal, but it is the beginning. Now, we know and we are comfortable with how to help people acquire knowledge and doctrine. We know how to go about that. And that is important. And it won't cease being important. Because it is the foundation. It is mission critical. But if we're making disciples of Jesus Christ, what we do not know and I would say we are uncomfortable with, is how do we help people grow in love with Jesus Christ? In fact, I almost, because this word love, you know, love Jesus Christ, love, oh yeah, I love Jesus Christ. It's so easy maybe to say that and just gloss over even this word love. And so you'll... Um, John Piper certainly has had an influence on me. And so I like when he talks about our affections. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is increasingly seeing your affections awaken towards Jesus Christ. Now this, you know, how we go about that, how you go about having your affections awakened is a question, even if you're not a Christian, you have to ask yourself because we are relational beings and you want to have good, meaningful relationships, especially if you're married. And so you uh, want to know, okay, how can I enlarge my affections for Jesus Christ, for my wife and for my kids? We understand loving things we understand loving things. I, oh, I love my car. I love my yard. I love my house. Knowledge can be considered a thing. Oh, I love knowledge. But loving people or any relational being such as people or God poses a far greater challenge than loving things. Am I growing in my capacity to love people and God? Or is my relationship to people and God only to help me acquire things? So you, know, you have to uh, you know, think about whether your relationship to Jesus Christ is a, out of convenience to acquire something. Or is it because of your understanding who he is? It's a, a response that you want to get to know him more fully. <clears throat> I 
Our purpose is to help people grow as followers of Jesus Christ, which means loving God with one's whole heart, mind, and soul. We know and understand how to disciple a person in Jesus Christ with our mind, but with our heart. With our heart and our soul is a different story. It's just like you. You want your kids' affections awakened towards their siblings and that they will get out of this uh, fighting stage and someday, not because dad's standing over them with a heavy club, but because something has happened deep inside and they truly love their other sibling. And you as parents, you go, how do we get there? We understand how to disciple a person in Jesus Christ with our mind, but the heart and soul is a different story, or our will and emotions, or affections. We like to prioritize, though, you know, which is more important to love God with? You know, okay, well, which is more important to love God with? As though we can separate them. I don't see that as an option in Scripture. It's not a question that makes any sense. God views us as a whole being, an integrated person, and all needs to be discipled into what it means to love the Lord your God or be a disciple or follower of God your Father and as he expressed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. I certainly would say knowledge comes first, but that's not to devalue one's affections as though they're secondary or less important to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, another book that I picked up, uh, Peter Cicero, who's written a couple of these, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Church. This is a statement he has. You know, for some reason, we're not getting the whole slide, but uh, wait, oh, Okay, I thought I was supposed to see the same thing you guys are seeing. All right. It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Emotional and spiritual maturity are inseparable. Now, you're in a life group, talk about that one. Do you agree? Because what I believe, certainly biblically, I think there's definitely a foundation, you know, as you look at Jesus Christ himself, full of emotions and affections, and how they were mature uh, in a godly fashion. But also experience tells us that a lot of folks will leave their faith, or an obstacle to their faith is not a lack of information. In fact, in the nine o'clock hour, he asked, uh, why do you think uh, people uh, reject Christianity? And somebody said, uh, control. To explain God away so that they can be in control. So uh, even, don't, don't confuse me with the facts. So oftentimes, with us not understanding or helping disciple the emotions that can lead you astray in terms of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You can be so angry with your spouse that emotionally you decide to get a divorce rather than walk through it. 
rather than for you to change because you don't want to deal with what that uh, emotion. You don't want to be discipled in that emotion that maybe God is using that to help you to mature as a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter in his book uh, says this at the end. It's not the link between emotional health and spiritual maturity is a large unexplored area of discipleship. If that is true, helping followers of Jesus Christ mature is spiritual work and critical to the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. So that you can reflect Jesus Christ in how you do handle and deal with your anger or fear or whatever emotion that tends to uh, maybe uh, have you in bondage. What I want to do this morning, that's all my introduction, okay? How are we doing? And um, what I want to do this morning is now for us to take a look at how did Jesus Christ make disciples? Did Jesus Christ do that? Did he do more? Did he understand the whole person and his method of uh, how to uh, make it give us any insight here? Because Pastor Ed, you know, you know, I'd much rather just get folks in a room and tell them what to believe. And now go and I've done my job. What about Jesus Christ? And so this is my commitment to you uh, this morning. This is what I decided to do. Um, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I'll come back to that point I was going to make here in a little bit. Um, I want to make some observations with you. We're going to look at John 1. And I'm going to make some observations. And then we're going to ask you, okay, well, what are the implications for us today? Now, I'm only going to make observations from how Jesus Christ began his disciple-making ministry, how he went about, how his going uh, cast a picture that might be helpful to us. And we'll primarily focus in John 1. And this, some will say this is just one stage of disciple-making. It's early on as while well, it's still raw. But you see other stages by invitations uh, of leaders and, and what he expects of a disciple at that stage of leadership or what he would say, remain in me or abide in me. So we're just going to look at John 1 at the introduction, uh, uh, how he's going to start this thing. Now, pretend with me. Think about it. Pretend with me that you have superhero powers and you were charged with saving the world. How would you begin? Because see, that's Jesus Christ's assignment. Go to earth. Those folks are uh, going towards destruction. I want you to save them. You're going to save them. Uh, you know, of course, of course, I don't want to even pretend to put you on that, that level. But just how would you go about that mission yourself? Now, I've not been given the mission of saving the world, 
but I have been given the mission of cleaning up my wood shop. And there are two ways I might go about that mission. It could be utter chaos and I could freeze. And I could say, uh, I'll start it tomorrow. You know, why do today what you can do tomorrow kind of thing. Or, in haste, I could go in there just so overwhelmed by it and I start like a bull in a china closet and just start throwing things out. And in that, I don't recognize my favorite screwdriver or drill bits that was somewhere in, in a mess that I, I just tossed. See, when given a big, bold mission, for me, I, I may tend to get overwhelmed or, or, or freeze uh, rushing around. And in light of that, I end up either paralyzed, not doing anything, or making mistakes. Jesus Christ is going to save the world through, it doesn't make sense, through you. Through humans, failed humans, weak humans. Let's look at how he's going to go about it. He's not overwhelmed. He doesn't freeze. He doesn't come off like a bowl in a china closet. Because it's not about power. It's about hearts, human hearts, personal hearts. It's about understanding personal relationships like a father with a son that he wants lifelong into eternity. And so turn with me to John. Yeah, I'm just going to make these observations and, and I'm pretty sure I know when to quit. And we'll just come back to it next week. I'm looking here, Matt, 1142. What? <laughs> that can't be right, Matt. Is that old? Is it 1142? Okay, let me just give the first one. And I got my sermon for next week. I'll give two really sandwiched and real quick together because they really lead up to John 1. The first one is Jesus Christ. Notice how he submits himself to a life process. In other words, what I see here is embedded already in life is a natural that all, whether Christian or not, benefit from. We see this, and I take this because Luke um, 2.80, Jesus Christ comes as a baby. But when we read there in Luke 2.80, it tells us, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, there's certainly a mystery here in God. We never believe that he forsake or did not cease being God, but in some way, he applied himself to this thing we call life. He engaged with it in such a way that he grew, the scripture says, became strong in spirit. He grew and became strong in spirit. It tells us 
you're either going to, in life, you're either going to be growing or you're going to be dying. It's already embedded. Same thing then as a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to take advantage. If life is going to be a laboratory, we need to take advantage of those opportunities that are there to continue to grow and apply ourselves to them. Uh, the application I, I have for this observation is, I already mentioned it, live life as God's classroom or laboratory. Live life. Uh, create a curiosity to grow in Christ. Be active. Be curious. Uh, we went to Leadership Summit, and one of the phrases that stood out to me, uh, the guy said, curiosity drives out fear. He was talking, I think, about interviewing somebody. If you're so curious about the person, uh, you're going to be less uh, uh, caught up with your apprehensive about the interview and your role in it. The curious. Cultivate this... Uh, Curiosity, uh, and, and never, you know, I think uh, Derek's title, uh, there's more. Never cease enjoying the adventure of there's more growth and understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, and the last one. The last one. I'm, I'm right. No, we're going to save the last one till next week. We're going to... No, no, I got to do it. I got to do it. <laughs> Here's the observation. Real quick, real quick. Uh, discipleship is intellectual and relational. It's both. Discipleship is intellectual and relational. And I take this from John 1. A marvelous statement is made here when he says that, and the word was God. Uh, the Epicureans in the Greek and Roman culture, the Epicureans believed God was distant. They were the ones that, uh, they wanted freedom. They wanted the pursuit of happiness. So they explained God is distant, that you don't have to worry about him when judgment day comes. Not a problem. Live life as you want. God was different, uh, uh, distant. The Stoics believed that the universe had a rational and moral order to it. Sort of like the order of nature. And if you aligned your life to live in concert with this rational order or congruently with it, life would go well with you. So it's a formula. It's an intellectual uh, just um, equation or formula. John says the word and the, the Greeks, the Stoics, use logos to describe formula, to follow, so life goes well with you. And John comes on, and this is where it gets personal. He says, the word is God. The word is God. What he's announcing, it, it, this God is a personal being. And he's created you in his image, and you're a personal being. And you can come to know him. He's not a formula, a concept, or a set of beliefs. We're going to pick it up right there. Um, yeah, we'll pick it up right there.
Okay, let's see where we're at on my schedule since I got... Um, that, that's the thing, you know, we changed our time here a little bit, so I'm disoriented. Um, let's close in prayer. I think that's what we standard do. <laughs> let's close in prayer. Come back. And if you don't come back, at least go online so you can hear it all. And not, uh, the danger with sermons or anything, if you just get a piece without the whole, you may go away with uh, um, not a clear understanding of what Pastor Ed is trying to convey. So, Father, may that nugget itself, that the Word is God, May we be able to traverse uh, past a, a concept, a formula, just a set of beliefs, and may it become personal. We want to grow as disciples in what it means to know you and know others personally. To have our affections stirred. And it's out of that, Lord, that we respond. So we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.